Uh, welcome to Fangirl Happy Hour, episode 10, where we have a non-standard intro because Renee didn't prepare anything. Oops. Today we're going to talk about Age of Ultron with... We had KJ on to talk about it with us, to mostly to act, you know, because she's great, great opinions, and to act as a mediator in case things went south between Anna and myself. You felt like this was okay, right, though, Anna, this episode? I, did, I think so, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be so smooth sailing but it was so well done us i guess we're grown-ups or something like that (laughs) it's an hour-long discussion which is different than our normal three segment episode but this movie required a full hour to discuss things apparently we had a lot of feelings about it i mean our daredevil like segment should have been an episode (laughs) definitely yes we learned our lesson Living and learning. Daredevil season two, full episode of, full hour episode of that. Well, it depends on whether we are going to actually be watching it. Oh, Although well, I, you said you were going to watch it. I said I did, yes, I know. Now you're locked in. It's, it's Regret. recorded. It's Regrets. <laughs> it's recorded and public now. Everybody has heard that episode, so now you're locked so, in. Yes. You can escape. You gotta watch it. Okay. So this is episode 10, Age of Ultron, with um, myself, Anna, and KJ. Enjoy. KJ, KJ, welcome. Thank you. Welcome to our podcast where I don't have an intro. So this is going to be amazing when I find, when we do it and when we release it. And I'm like, guess what, guys? This is what it sounds like when I don't edit. You're welcome, Charles. Here you go. <laughs> well, I guess we can always say welcome to Fangirl Happy Hour. This is an extra episode, a special episode where we are celebrating or possibly not really celebrating Avengers Age of Ultron. And we have a special guest. Yes, we have... KJ, who is my friend, I claim her. How long have we known each other, KJ, actually? That's- I'm thinking it's been nine years, because my 10-year anniversary in fandom was this year, but I didn't know you until I'd been in fandom a little while. And I think we met in 2006? So that would be, yeah, and so nine years. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's a long time yeah. for you to put It is a long me. time. It is a long time. Thank you for putting up with my... <laughs> ex- Thank my, you for my dragging excellence. me into things like podcast which i would never have done in a million years certainly not nine years ago <laughs> no no i remember when i got you on scout the first time it was pretty it was pretty funny you were <laughs> like i'm nervous <laughs> so are you guys in the same fandom like do you go around the same kind of communities we have, i don't even a- know how to call it guys i'm sorry <laughs> i'm terrible <laughs> we have a number of fandoms in common not all of them but um we met because we were both in final fantasy fandom and we sort of came into Marvel Cinematic Universe. I want to say I came in a little before Renee did. Yes, because I um, took a detour to Teen Wolf. Yes, right. Whereas <laughs> I've skipped. been, I skipped. I, I skipped into basically the uh, the first Avengers movie. I'd liked the movies before, but the first Avengers movie is the one that made me all super fanish about it. So got me writing fic and getting really interested in all the meta chris evans yes chris evans we will definitely uh (laughs) we will give him a large portion of the credit steve rogers is played by chris evans because yeah okay so i guess this is a good place to start then you both are coming to watch this movie from from a from a fanish strong fandom perspective right so how how much do you both love Marvel Cinematic Universe 
And what were your expectations for the movie? So, I, I mean, I, I love the cinematic universe. I at least like all of the movies. Um, I have yet to see one of the movies and go, eh. I guess my expectations for Age of Ultron were pretty high, but I was trying not to make them be too high because I loved the first movie so much, and I figured that it was going to be very hard for that bar to clear, to clear that bar. And particularly, um, I also really loved um, Winter Soldier, and it didn't look like from the previews and what little bit I knew that it was really going to take pick up where Winter Soldier left off, that it was going to be in a different direction from that. So I wasn't expecting that, so I wasn't disappointed that it didn't happen. Well, after the first trailer for Ultron, I talked about it with Claire on Lady Business. We actually went through the trailer and just like examined it and talked about what we thought might be happening. But after that trailer came out, it was so fucking depressing. I think about the trailers for the first Avengers and how bright and happy and fun it looked. And this movie just from the very beginning just had this super downer tone. And I'm not, I'm not into that in my, except in in the case of Daredevil, I guess. But (laughs) I I just, I was just really, really worried. And I was trying to curb my expectations because I knew number one, I don't think that Joss Whedon knows how to write Steve Rogers. I don't think he knows how to write Natasha Romanoff. I think he relies too much on quippiness. I don't think he knows how to work inside of a universe that's not his own. So I was trying to be adjust and be like, it's going to be okay now. You're just going to go in. If it's super, super, super wrong, fandom will fix it for you. And then I went in and there was like a weird action sequence. Nothing connected. It seemed like it was retconning Iron Man 3 and the Winter Soldier. There was a rape joke. Natasha's storyline was weird. Like I don't, I didn't even know what to do with my expectations. Like it wasn't, it wasn't disappointment, but it was kind of like when I watched it, it was fun. But as soon as I walked out of the theater and started thinking about it, I was like, "Shit, that was not good." So I, I, I actually, it's interesting. Some of the, some of the, the things that my reactions to a lot of that is so completely different. But I, I think it might be partly coming from different places. I definitely see why people say Joss Whedon can't write Steve, but I disagree on Natasha because if you think about how Natasha was written and portrayed in Iron Man 2 versus Avengers, the Natasha we got in the Avengers was way better and made a lot more sense than the Natasha in Iron Man 2. So actually, Joss kind of created the Black Widow that we like. He just didn't, he did some weird things with her, I agree, in, in this movie. But, you know, if we think about the, portrayal of Natasha, the, it really started with Avengers, not with Iron Man 2, because, you know, John Favreau didn't do much with her in Iron Man 2. He, you know, she was basically kind of the, you know, catsuit-wearing, ass-kicking, eye-candy girl that everybody thinks of her as got set by that movie. And I think that, you know, a lot of people who saw that in Avengers weren't, that wasn't actually what was on the screen. It's what they expected to see, and so it's what they saw. If you remember us arguing, you know, complaining about all of the reviews of Avengers that reduced her to that. <laughs> um, but that isn't, you know, how she was on screen. I think only the Russos can run Natasha. <laughs> I don't know. If you go back and, and watch Avengers again, you, you don't think you don't think she was right in the first Avengers movie? It's not that I don't think she was right. I just think that the more like the more I view that movie from a distance and compare like compare it to the Winter Soldier, I feel like it hit some really good notes and then it hit some really weird notes as well. And that yeah. might just have been me sure. learning, you, you know, taking in new canon and then changing my perspective mm-hmm. on how. Yeah. 
And obviously, obvi- obviously, I, me and Joss don't get along. So I think, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would agree that the Winter Soldier was an improvement on Natasha's character from the first Avengers movie, but I don't, I think that the first Avengers movie also did pretty well with her. But and then anyway. this happened. This movie happened. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. That <laughs> I think that will require its own separate <laughs> topic. Yeah, you liked this movie. You liked it. I did. I did like this movie. And I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to set parameters to understand where you're coming from, where I'm coming from, and I'm trying to explain to myself or try to find an explanation for why I liked this movie so much and why certain things did not bother me so much. And I think one of the main things for me is that I am really bad at critiquing movies. Not because I can't, but because I just don't want to. So there is, uh, because most of my life I spend critiquing things and mostly television and books. And when I go to the movies, when I watch a movie, it's basically I want to turn my brain off. So I went to the, I, I like uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't, I'm not in fandom, so I don't have a, a closer relationship to the characters or with the world. I don't write from fiction, I don't read from fiction. So I don't have any sets of expectations or any closeness to those characters beyond the fact that I like them, I love them, but because of the movies and not because of anything else. So I didn't have a huge set of expectations about the movie coming going in, apart from the fact that I just wanted to have a good time with these characters that I've come to love because I've watched those movies. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't even read the comics to that point. I've read some, but not enough for me to have a wide knowledge about those characters or or, or the or that even that specific arc. So I went to to the to that movie like this. I just wanted to have a good time with the characters that I've come to love because of the movies. And because of that, I liked it. I really, really liked it. I had a really great time. It was extremely funny because, you know, what you say about the trailer, about the tone of the trailer, I don't think that was met by the movie. The movie was actually fun and funny and light unless I'm just completely making things up in my head. Yes, I had a great time. And yes, there are things there were not good. I can say I had a good time. And then after I read reviews, I say, I can say, I can also say that maybe this is not a good movie, (laughs) but it was still fun. Still made me laugh. Still made me cry. I got the ship that I wanted. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) And, (laughs) and I love the cameos as well. I thought, Mm. They were, they really worked for me. So I should say, I actually, I liked this movie. I enjoyed it. I had a good time while I was watching it. I still think back on it as a movie that I liked to watch, even with all of the problems that I will happily dissect. But I was not actually, I wasn't disappointed by this movie. I was, and I was a little afraid I might be because I knew so many people who were unhappy about it. But um, even though I understand, I, I can definitely see the problems with it. Um, I, I also did like and still like this movie. So I, I came out of it on a that. high. I was so mm-hmm. hyper after coming out of that movie. My, my, my partner was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, the fight. I just, I just really like to see people 
fighting each other and flying <laughs> through the air. It's just like I'm. It was very basic for me. The enjoyment that I got out of that movie. So um, yeah, I'm the outlier. That's like, eh. Like if I'm gonna, if I was gonna rank it somewhere, I would rank it somewhere down with Iron Man two, which I think is the hot mess of the MCU. Yes, I, yes. I actually. Well, I agree that Iron Man's the hot mess. I don't. I'm not sure if I would rank that movie, this movie, that low. Yeah, I would. I would put it right there next to Iron Man two. I would put it somewhere in the middle, I think, but mostly because I love the ones that I love so much. It's kind of in the. It's this one for me. Kind of hangs out in the middle with the Thor movies and Guardians of the Galaxy. Your favorite movies then, uh, KJ, are my very favorite. No, no, my favorite is uh, Winter Soldier. Um, okay. Followed Yay, Winter closely Soldier. by yes, followed closely by Avengers, and then the first Iron Man, and then the rest kind of hang out in the middle together. Then Iron Man Two is at the bottom. Uh, Agent Carter goes in the top. Agents of Shield goes in the middle. I haven't watched Daredevil yet. So for me, I think my favorite movie it's the first Captain America. Oh, I forgot the first Captain America. Yeah, that's that's in the high one. That's up in the rank higher uh, rank. Too. And then, and then Avenger, and actually, then the Thor movies. Mm. I love them. I really like them. Which then brings me. What about you, Renee? So yeah, Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier is the standard at this point for Marvel movies. I think just because it was so well done, even the honest trailer people could not think <laughs> on that movie. <laughs> they were like, "It's just great. a good movie." Like it was. It was great. It was a great thing to watch. Let's find, like, two minutes of things to nitpick because there's really nothing else to complain about. <laughs> yeah, so... So, but then I wouldn't call it a standard. I would call it a high watermark. Let's see, so that's for me. I don't expect them all to be as good as I the do. winner. I have high... I expect more, ah. guys. Come on. So, so when you have so, billions of dollars. Are you kidding? That's... Yeah. So, so I would it's, put the Winter Soldier there, obviously. And Avengers would be up at, up at top for me. Then Agent Carter would also be up at the top. I mean... My scale is probably way different from you because I have I really I have really particular feelings about the characterization in the MCU. I don't really enjoy the fact that a lot of people will like hand wave some of the really weird characterization in the MCU because they're looking at comics canon and going, Oh, well this makes sense because comics canon, even though it's not in the cinematic universe canon. And oh, like, I hate that. <laughs> it's really annoying to me. So I think probably my scale is more uh, extreme. To put it nicely, it's a little more extreme. Okay. So I I think that then ties in with what I wanted to go next. Because, you know, we have all of these separate movies. And they work as separate movies. And you have arcs. uh, You have Iron Man arcs. And you have Thor arcs. And you have Hulk arcs. And you have Captain America arcs. And you have, to a certain degree, a Black Widow arc. Um, throughout those movies as well. So how I think it, it is a problem that they would inevitably face is that how do you put all of those separate arcs together in one movie? I think at the point of Avengers 1, we had fewer movies to deal with and, mm-hmm. now, and now we have more shit happening. Like, for example, in Avengers 2, the whole thing that happened with Iron Man 3 gone right yeah what, like where was tony's um stark's uh post-traumatic stress disorder where were his uh combination of 
you know, fighting and destroying all the Iron Man suits and where was all that? So what happens between Iron Man 3 and this movie that all of those things were forgotten? I don't think it's so much that they were forgotten as it was that Joss started from scratch. We got the PTSD again with Scarlet Witch giving Tony that vision of all the Avengers being dead. And that's what triggered him wanting to work on Ultron, which I can kind of buy, except that it undoes all of the work he did to get past that place in Iron Man 3. Because it does it all over again. It does it all over again. And so, you know, once again, he's building the ultimate, instead of building the ultimate suits, he's building the ultimate AI, but it's the same it's the same impulse that drives. It's the drives same storyline, yeah. It's, it's the, the same, same story. motivation. So yeah, it's like he. It's like he. It's like he forgot that Iron Man three ever happened, and he started it over again. That that's that, that's one of those things that didn't bother me at the time, but definitely bothers me in retrospect. Yes, yeah, it's, it's same <clears throat> same with me. It actually, didn't even occur to me until I saw people talking about it, and I was like, well, actually, yes, you do have a point there. Uh-huh. But at the same time, though, I think what happens with with Tony and Bruce, I thought that this movie was very much the science bros, mm-hmm. right? Because it was the two of them, again, being, oh, oh, science is amazing. Let's get this done because science will be awesome and end all wars or whatever. We know that Joss Whedon really likes Tony Stark, right? Yeah. I, th- yeah. I feel like it's his favorite character. I think it, there is so much uh, time spent on his issues, on his problems, from his perspective, and him being the heroic, the most heroic Avenger, sometimes it feels like to me, it's, it's Tony Stark, and it, which is weird because the leader is Captain America. But I wonder about that too, because how much of that is Joss Whedon and how much of that is Marvel? Because it's pretty clear that Marvel thinks that Tony Stark is their most important and most popular character, and RDJ is their most important and most popular actor, so he needs the most screen time. And I wonder how much of that comes from Marvel. It felt more organic in the first movie for it to be more Iron Man-y, it, because it, it worked well with the way Joss writes, but it didn't mesh quite as well in this one. My problem with this one, with Tony, is that Joss, I do think Joss understands Tony as a character, and his motivations. But I also feel like in this movie, he was given these emotional arc about his PTSD that Scarlet Witch brings back and the creation of Ultron and Vision. And they were never really... like they, He was given them, but they were never followed through on. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was no... Mm-hmm. There was no resolution to some of them. The Avengers would fight about it because Tony is making unilateral decisions without them, and it, things would, you know, work out in quotes or you know go to hell. And but then the emotional there was no emotional resolution to any of it. In all the other Iron Man movies, there were always he always got emotional resolution. It's and it's kind of like it's kind of like oh you made the vision the vision is really super awesome and the vision is really super awesome so all is forgiven but that all could have gone very much wrong and the fact that that's not really addressed that Steve was kind of right to try to stop him from doing it I don't know well but at the same time though but when you, when you think about the vision that um, Scarlet Witch gives Tony Stark. Uh, we all see it as post-traumatic stress disorder playing up there, but at the same time, though, that vision would mess anyone 
Oh, sure. It, it would mess any of the Avengers. So in that, in that way, it was not a very specific targeted vision for one specific person. Like, not, not like the visions that, um, uh, Steve Rogers got, the one that's, that, um, Natasha got, because they were very specific to their personal problems. And I'm not that convinced that that vision was that targeted for Tone Stark in that same emotional way because that vision, that terrible vision would hit anybody. We just, do you know what I mean? I kind of agree with that, but I think that part of what happened, what is happening there is that it's, it's Wanda wanting a particular outcome. Like she wants to mess Tony up specifically. So that's why she picks him. Now, I don't know why she, I don't know. I don't know if that really holds up to what knowledge she has at that point, but. Here's my question. I've heard a lot going around about how Tony Stark is now a supervillain. This narrative makes him a supervillain. Not yeah. maybe explicitly, but they set it up for him to be a supervillain. I don't buy this for a few different reasons, mostly because generally, even in the bad movies, um, Marvel tends to have a really good sense of nuance in their, in their how they set things up and how they give their characters motivations. But this is a really interesting idea that Tony Stark is now a supervillain. Even though at the end of the movie, we see him and Steve having a, you know, a pretty nice conversation and Tony driving away, having, you know, left the, formerly left the Avengers, I guess. But you still kind of see shades of their argument that was never resolved at Clint's farm. So how likely is it that this whole supervillain thing is an actual thing based on what we know from Ultron. Eh, I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it either. That could be, that could be a moment where he goes too far, but I can't see him as a supervillain. It just seems a really weird read on his character to me, given the fact that his vision was so specific. He Mm -hmm. originally, his visions were just a portal and him, and then Wanda tweaks it to where it's not just him anymore. It's not just him at risk. Because obviously you see in his vision that all the Avengers have died. And the implication is that it's his fault because he didn't do enough to protect the Earth. But then that portal is still there in that vision, which is why I connected to his post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. So this idea that he, because of his choices in this movie, even though he didn't really get held accountable, he didn't at all. And it was really funny to me that... He would be like, Bruce, let's create an AI. And Bruce would be like, no, no, no. Okay. And he would do it. And then Tony would get all the shit for it. And Bruce got no shit at all, which was really interesting. Yeah. Apparently Bruce is immune. And then, you know, they create an evil AI. Later, they get another chance. And Tony's like, let's do this again. And Bruce is like, no, we were just here two days ago. And it was a mess. Are you kidding? And then he's like, fine, let's do it. Well, you know, it's. It's because you don't mess with the Hulk. It's like, why do you so, yeah. fight with the Hulk? So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just like, no, this is, this is, no, I'm not so picking up a fight times, with the Multiple yes, times, they're fight, like, Tony does something and they fight and there's just no, res- there's no emotional resolution to it. But now you have people coming out to say, oh, well, he, this is setting him up as a supervillain for Civil War. Which I still am just really dubious about. No, but like, but civil war is not about supervillains, is it? It's about just two different sides of the same fight of or how to protect humanity, isn't that right. what's yeah. right? So it's just that each side will have a different uh, perspective, 
And that makes sense. I'm just and really I, confused about the supervillain reading. No, I'm, I just, I don't get that at all. I'm it's really very, curious about where it's coming from. It's a very black and white reading of the situation, right? A character is good or a character is evil, which yes. it's just not, is not how Marvel does things. But I think it's what people kind of want to see. So they try to slot people into, and I think that's, that's where we get people working really, really hard to redeem the villains they like, like Loki, for example. And, um, you know, people try so hard to make Loki not be a villain. And I'm sorry, you can't. He is. <laughs> he's a great yes. character. He's still a villain. And, you know, there's just, you know, you can't, you can hold those two things in your head at the same time. A character can be an awesome character. They can have sympathetic reasons for doing what they do and they can still be a villain. Yes. And I, I'm not sure that uh, Tony would go down that path. I think ultimately he has good intentions it's just the way that he goes about that is just, you know, regrettable, to say the least. I don't know. That's that's how I see his character. And I think he genuinely likes the other Avengers as well mm-hmm. and would protect them. But, you know, it would be interesting to see how that plays out. How will they do Civil War? But the question is, he'll protect them, but will they want the protection he offers? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the question. No, they didn't yeah, like but... the first. They didn't like the first one at all. That was no good. <laughs> no, true. At this point, we're probably just avoiding it. We should probably just talk about it and get it over with. Okay. <laughs> so the movie came out, and there it got a lot of weird reactions to Natasha's character, Black Widow. Yeah. It came out not in the U.S. first, so this didn't. This was just kind of churning underneath the consciousness of you know America. Because we hadn't seen it yet, it hadn't it hadn't debuted here, and then when it finally did come out, it exploded because there were some scenes and some parts of her storyline that were really not well handled, not well done. And Joss Whedon, after the movie came out, he quit Twitter. He just walked away. And- yeah, but not but not because. As militant feminists well, sent him out. Sure, but it for, was all part of his plan. But for <laughs> but he did it silently, and for several days, that's what that was the that was the narrative. That was the narrative. Yes. I mean, really yeah. big people like reblog things about how dare you guys abuse Joss Whedon off Twitter. Mm. Like I know, like Brad Michael Bendis, like put something on and Twitter. The- and a lot of storyfies about with with tweets at him, and, and those tweets were used as proof that people were hounding him off Twitter. And like, and those tweets said things like, "This is a really poor portrayal of Black Widow." It was like, legitimate criticism was um, shown as bullying, like it always happens on Twitter. Yeah. So basically, that's what my point is, because I see this happening all the time. And so that happened. The big criticism, the the big one, I think, because there's others. There's like, oh, Natasha's a damsel at the end, and she has to be rescued. And there's some other stuff. The romance isn't well done. Uh, but the the big one is the conversation that she has with Bruce at Clint's farm, where she, for some reason, just thought it would be a great idea to include a com like a comment, a word, the, the word monster in any sort of like, way during a conversation about infertility. The one of the readings of that scene is that Natasha is saying because she can't have kids, she's a monster. Do we agree that this is a valid reading? Just I agree, it's a valid reading. It wasn't my reading at the moment, but but as I was watching it, I was like, well, I read it this way, but I just know that people are going to read it the other way, <laughs> and well, then, and they're not wrong to do so. 
it was the, it was, that was my kind of reaction. Yes. That's, that's, that was my reading. Well, it is, it is about reading to me. That's not how I read the scene when watching. And it was later that I realized that it could be read in a different way. And that's the number one reason why I think that it was a really silly idea to include that word specifically. If you're going to have a discussion about infertility, that's fine. Because obviously that comes from Natasha's comics canon. That's part of her backstory in the comics. So it's well, And forced sterilization is kind of a different thing from infertility. Yeah. I just, you know, I felt that... Words. I just, I don't know how to say no. it. You could have used any other, any other well, word. Well, okay. So this is what I, what he was going for. To me, and what again? How I re- how I did in fact read the scene, I, and I'm pretty sure this is what he was going for. She's a monster because she's killed people. She was altered against her will to make it easier for her, her to kill people, and that's a parallel between her and Bruce. She's trying to make a connection there between him by using the the word monster because that's the word he uses to describe himself is monster, and so that is a connection between them. But it's still it was still sloppy writing, and he could have I think still used the word monster. But Bruce needed a better comeback there. That was what was missing to me. It didn't bother me that Natasha described herself that way. Also because it's pretty clear that everybody is still shaken from the dreams, that the visions that Wanda gave them. And I kind of, you know, I read that that was going on too. And she might not have said that if she hadn't been under the influence of, of Wanda's mind control. But I still think it was sloppily handled. And um, they could have made it much harder to have the the reading of the scene where she's saying she's a monster because she's infertile. Well, I think I think what makes it even easier to 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 have that reading the monster thing is that because the entire movie has several scenes with children, with family, with people being pregnant, with Natasha being godmother mm-hmm. to someone. So I think that it builds up a narrative around the idea of family, which, you know, every single Avenger is having a conversation about that in the movie, in, in fairness. So, you know, Tony Stark is saying, shouldn't we all want to have this, to have a family? And Clint has a family, obviously. And Thor wants to go off and have babies with Jane or whatever. So... <laughs> It is something that every single Avenger is dealing with. It's not only Natasha, but, you know, she is the only woman and she's the only one who has had her, the operation, the forced operation to not be able to have children. It, it's there, right? Mm-hmm. The context for their reading it is there. It's, it's very clear that it's a, it's a, it's a possible reading. And yes. I would say say it was not even a possible reading. If you think about the movie itself and the cutscenes they give you before that conversation happens, because they do, they give you cutscenes, little flashes of the scenes, like the visions that Natasha and Bruce saw before they have their conversation. And if you think about what's in those scenes, what, what choice did the director make when he cut that scene? What did he show us? He showed us Bruce is a monster, but he showed Natasha's vision, the choice he made, was not for like her shooting people, not the ballet, but the operation itself. And so that's why I think that's another reason that people may be reading it that way because the it was just really a, a weirdly written scene and the choice, like the direction that he chose to take it, how he contextualized the discussion they were about to have, how he built yeah. it, how he set it up. Mm-hmm. It was just really strange if he didn't want us to take that away. Like he could have worked it to where it wouldn't have been such a problem. 
Totally. It was sloppy. It was very sloppy on his but point not of view. Really, and I'm not really used to that from him, I guess, because I, I skipped some of this more stu- the stuff that people said was problematic. But generally, I was just really shocked that that was there. I was like, Joss, really? Really? This seems like a really easy thing to... You could still have what you wanted, but do it in a way that... I just think the risk management of this mm-hmm. team was just really poorly done. Sure. <laughs> I agree with that, for sure. I was going to say, I, I mean, I like Joss. <laughs> I'm a fan of his work in general. Um, I liked Buffy. I liked Firefly. Um, I liked the first Avengers movie a whole lot, but he actually, for all that people try to vaunt his feminist credentials, he does make mistakes like this all the time. The sort of sloppy tone deaf, uh, you know, scenes that can be read in too many different ways. Some, you know, occasional victim blaming slips in there. So it's not, this is not entirely unexpected for me that, that he would make a mistake like this. That is true, but also there is the, the fact that there is a an extended version, right? And there's a longer cut of that movie. Yeah, like oh, yeah, this movie was so, three hours long, yeah. So I wonder whether there's more to that scene, which we will get to see on the DVD, I guess. I would be curious to see if there is anything else there, if there mm-hmm. is an easier move from one point to the other. I don't because, know. Because other, otherwise, though, what did you think of that scene? <laughs> because I, I was really excited about it. the ship, right? I was super excited. <laughs> I was and so excited. I was so happy. I hate how he did it. I hate it. It was Buffy and Angel all over again. It was just him <laughs> repeating fucking Buffy and Angel. I don't yeah. want Buffy and Angel again. Joss Whedon, I want Bruce and Natasha. This did not feel like Bruce and Natasha to me. I was so disappointed in this shit. Yeah, I wanted it to work too. And it just, it, it was too, it didn't get set up well enough. And yeah, I yeah. I agree. Another problem I had it, it's with it, this movie was so heteronormative. It was really, really heteronormative. And everybody, everything, everybody was paired off in neat little heterosexual pairings. And then we bust up into Clint's secret family farm with his pregnant wife whose only job in this movie was to be pregnant and a wife well this is this is awesome this is canon it's from the ultimates so i know like i know it's not out of nowhere but it just felt so weird oh see i loved that i loved that i loved that as well <laughs> no it's i mean i love that he had a family i love how it makes us think of the character completely differently because he looks like this sort of lone wolf guy who's maybe in a relationship with natasha or maybe they're just good friends and you know but no in fact he has this family and he has the kids and he has the the farmhouse and, the, and you know it's kind of yes it's ridiculous and cliche but think of the, the character that they gave the ridiculous heteronormative cliche family to being hawkeye i actually liked that and I also, I love that Natasha was clearly part of the family. Like, you know, she knows and loves the kids. She knows and loves the wife. That actually, it's, it's, it sets him in contrast to the others in a way that I like. So I, I completely agree with that, actually. And I actually really like the wife as well. And I liked that, you know, she's running that farm all by herself with three <laughs> kids. I think that's a superhuman. That's a superwoman <laughs> right there. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> now... You know, that's cool. I I'm think. a sad minority I, here. Sad minority of hating clips. Well, yeah, the thing about the heteronormativity, I don't expect anything else from Marvel. I really don't. How would you like the, them to leave it out? They left it out fine in The Winter Soldier, which I guess we've true. established that it, that's not a standard. That's a high <laughs> bar. But I'm just really... Oh God, let the fandom handle it, guys. We well, they will. Better. They will. I'm sure they will. 
Yeah, so I I didn't have a problem with with that. I think side my of problem with it all. probably comes with the end where Tony was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna maybe I should buy Pepper a farm." Really, Tony Stark? Really? You're... It's Tony. He's talking in like well, he would he would Grant say that to her, and she would just laugh in his face and and then his, his head and then go back to be CEO. These are the, exactly. these are, but this is the time, this is the thing I mean with how Joss Whedon it's quippy but in a stupid way like. Mm. That I don't know. I don't. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't even buy it as a as a as a potential like Tony having a nice dream. I just don't know Tony Stark. Well, you know, if Tony actually bought a farm, it would be you know like a giant ranch in like the highest mountains in the middle of like nowhere with a giant helipad and fifteen. Surprisingly, hot I think I'm, I'm. I think I'm determining that I just didn't really like Joss's characterization of Tony in this movie, which is really weird to me. I have a really specific read on Tony, and I just, I guess I can't, I can't shake it. I can't shake it. So what is your specific reading of Tony? I don't know, but some of the stuff that happened in this, some of the things he said, some of the ways he acted, were just, it just felt strange to me. And obviously I don't read the comics. I don't like, because like the comics are, I was told specifically by my comic guy, if you like Tony being a, a generally good guy and friends with Steve and generally pleasant to people. Don't read the comics. Oh God! <laughs> he straight up told me, "Don't read the comics because people make Tony an asshole." I probably need to see it again because I think the last two times I saw it, I was focused on other things, like how much I disagreed with some of the things that Steve did and said, the, the Natasha stuff. So, do you want to do you want to talk about that, Renee? Do you want to talk about Steve Rogers? KJ could back me up here, maybe a little. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure I will because I let. I thought Steve was not perfect in this movie, but for the most part, I thought he was fine. So he was quippy, but all the emotional notes are sour. Like for me, some of the th- like and some of the like the language thing, the old man. That was ridiculous. The, the that whole ridiculous. movie, the whole goddamn movie, the stupid old guy joke. And I told KJ yesterday, I'm like. Just Whedon. Steve is not your tea party grandpa. Get over <laughs> it. So there were moments that I was like, yes, there's Steve. Cause, and this is just Chris Evans taking the, some of the shitty ass writing that Just Whedon gave him and turning it into something good. And I think it's not even lines, but it's emotional connection. Because to me, Steve has a lot of warmth and consideration and compassion for people, even if he disagrees with them. And so I didn't see that here. Like several times him and Tony fight and they just like, bang on each other, and then nothing else happens. They don't resolve it. They don't talk about it. It's just really strange to me to get to not get the emotion from Steve like I did in other films. So maybe what we are... I think maybe what we are coming to realize then is that there is less character development and more action sequences in this movie. Because it's the same thing with Black Widow, same thing with Tony, same thing with... Steve, they they never go where we expect them to go in terms of their emotional arc because sometimes somehow they get stopped in the middle. Well, this is a good question. Does this mean that Marvel is hitting their ceiling on their ability to make team stories because of the character bloat? That yes, part of a problem. I think I think yeah. I mean, what did Thor do in this movie? He he went to a pool jokes with the hammer. Yeah, there is, there is, there is, there was no Thor there. There was no Thor, and uh, I don't know if you saw an article because now that he, 
no longer has a contract with Marvel. So Joss started talking about his experience with writing and filming this movie. And he said that the scene with Thor in the pool was mandated by Marvel. Because it's he the through line to the it's the through line to the Infinity Stone stuff. Yes. So and and he he had to sh- shoehorn that scene in. I don't without wanting to. Okay. Well, could he have compromised with them? Like I'm really confused about why he went and got the rando Eric Selvig. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you have an entire yeah. team there. Be like, hey Steve, let's go put me in the magic pool. Why not take one of the other characters? That's a good question. Like, I, it, okay, so Steve and Tony had to have that, you know, log ripping scene. So yes. take or take Clint or take Natasha. Like there were, there was a place there to take another one of these characters. That it is interesting. Yeah, weird cameo by this other character and then it would have connected it to the story it just felt if that was mandated it felt like joss was throwing a tantrum and so he just jammed it in there it had to be there and he didn't think about how he could connect it and it's maybe, possible he also he had to use the actor the maybe, actor maybe under i don't contract. know like, and that if he had to that was a dumb decision marvel why would you do that i mean i guess part of it, it in some ways i think about the fact that, you know, in some ways the MCU is all one big series, but in other ways it's a, it's a number of series cobbled together. So this movie is following up the Avengers. It's not in, and it's, you know, there's a direct, there has to be a direct line there. Selvig was in the Avengers. So we kind of have, maybe we have to see him here because the people in who saw the Avengers, but didn't see the Thor movies don't know what happened to him. I don't know. Um, it's not, I don't think that's great reasoning either, but it is, it might be a thing that happened. I think also it's somewhere in, in Marvel's contract that Chris Hemsworth must appear shirtless and or wet in every movie at least once. <laughs> yes. I and I'm down with that. Against that. <laughs> <laughs> We're all okay with that development. Shirtless no and wet I have preferable. no problem there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think then that might connect with what I was saying before, that there are so many storylines and where do they draw a line? So do they need Avengers to connect to only to the first Avengers or or to the all all the other movies? Because do do they assume that everybody will be watching Avengers two because they they watched the Avengers one or because they have been watching all of those movies? Right. And oh, so what is the assumption yeah. that you make as a Marvel executive and as a writer? And it has to be kind of both, right? They have to write it so the people who've been watching everything can follow it and understand. They have to watch it so people who only watch certain things understand. And they have to make it so that people who are walking to the movie theater for the very first time can understand. Yes. Um, and that's a huge order. The action scene that opens the movie that um, that Renee said felt like it came out of nowhere, it is a direct follow-on to the end of the previous episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It is, oh, I see. it is set up, it is totally, it, it is set up in the episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that aired right before it. So oh, no to me, it didn't come out of nowhere. To me, it's like, and I, I like <laughs> that it's, I like that we started in the middle of the action sequence because, you know, we know why these people are all together. We saw that already. We don't need to see it again. Yes. Um, 
even even if you but you know the fact is that I'd seen that episode and I knew why there why we were there. I'm so so behind on Agents of Shield. So no, me I have no too. Clue I I had no clue either. Yeah, but that's interesting. So you know they could have and they could have set that you know they could have set that up with a throwaway line about you know well Coulson told us it was here so here we are. They could have they could have you know at least alluded to that I think in some way that would have made it. Do the Avengers even know that he's alive? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I was expecting a, that cameo, and it never happened. I know. Like that know. would have that would have been so cool. Like really, really cool emotional, you know, content for the movie. But no, nothing. No. What I, what I the the moment that I thought was right for a crossover was when we had some amazing hacker protecting the codes from Ultron, the, the nuclear launch codes from Ultron. I was hoping it would be Sky. Yeah, oh, I had yeah. that thought too. I was like, I was so thinking cool. the theater the second time, and when that story, that part of the story, because I missed that the first time, because it was so that movie was so busy, and I was like, that would, and I knew who it was because I'd seen it, seen it already. But I'm like, wow, that would have been cool if it could have been Sky. I mean, it was also. I mean, I don't mind that it was Jarvis because it could have been again, both. I, they could have had uh, it been both. It that's true. Happened. Tag team, tag teaming it somehow. Um, but if it, yeah, I mean, I, I, I loved what happened with Jarvis. I loved the vision. But is Jarvis gone now? I don't really understand what happened there. I think Jarvis is now the vision. I don't think he's Tony's AI anymore. I think he's his own man. That's interesting. Yeah, I like that. I like it but too. Can we talk about how funny Ultron was? Because he made me laugh so much. Yeah, but I mean, James Spader did a great job. But I, the MC, the villains are totally the weak point of the MCU for me. They're totally it's just that they are not villainous enough. Well, they're not. It's weird. They're sort of like a combination of too villainous and not villainous enough. And you don't really. They're just. They're. They're all like pompous windbags who make a lot of speeches. And <laughs> they don't that do was, bad things. I think the closest you get to like a bad thing is Alexander Pierce. Like, I mean, no, and, like, Pierce is, him. and Pierce is one of the best villains in in this, and is one of the only really good villains in him the and, cinematic. Yeah, him and Loki, I think, are the him best. and Loki, and to uh, an Obadiah Stane in mm-hmm, Iron yes. Man, who's also a good villain. And otherwise, uh, they have a lot of trouble with villains. Yeah. Even like I'm thinking about Guardians of the Galaxy, where I was just like, oh "Are you a bad guy? Like, <laughs> what are you doing here?" Uh, yeah, I was not scared of you at all, and. I they keep ramming Thanos down our throat, and every time he's on screen, I'm just like, "Fuck! I don't give a shit about you, dude. This movie's gonna happen." I'm gonna be like, "You're not scary at all." They got I don't know what they're gonna do because I don't find this dude intimidating. So I I hope they have something up their sleeve for that because every time he appears on the screen, I was so mad when that was our uh, credit sequence. Thanos with the stupid glove. I'm like, I want to take that glove and slap you with it. You're so boring looking. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, at least we yes. know who he is now. Unlike the end of the first Avengers movie, where they like they do this great big reveal, and I'm like, we're all like, who? Right. <laughs> well, for, I thought. Do you know who I thought it was? I thought it was Apocalypse from the X Men. I was like, oh yes, crossover. Oh. Oh. <laughs> There's never going to be a crossover. Of course not. So oh. this is actually a good point for us to talk about the twins. Yes. Because I don't understand what they are doing or what they did with Quicksilver because Quicksilver just died in this movie and at the same time that he's still alive in the X-Men movies and there's going to be a new X-Men movie with Quicksilver as one of the X-Men. You have They're to treat them differently. You can't it's treat them not as the same, same universe. universe. You can't I know, but it's just like it's all Marvel and it is the same universe inside my head. Ah. Uh, 
Yeah, but no, it's not. You just consider it's... it studio st- studio fanfic is what's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> they really should just start getting fan writers to write in these because they, there's so much canon. They should just get fan writers to start writing their scripts for Seriously. them. Seriously, and have somebody but... else clean them up because guys. Yeah. But yeah, the the twins were interesting. They were they agreed to be experimented on so they could have powers to defeat you know mean mean old Tony Stark who had bombed their. Per- apparently, personally bombed their apartment building. I'm sorry, I'm very tired of this as a motivation for villains. You know, Tony- well, yeah. Plus, again, it brings um, the focus to Tony Stark. We, Once- we get it. Tony built weapons, and yes. he was bad. He was really bad, yeah. and he hurt a lot of people and ruined a lot yeah. of lives. We get it, guys. I mean, it gives them a reason to target the the Avengers and Tony Tar- Stark specifically, um, as opposed to just sort of lashing out against. Uh, American imperialism, which is really a more interesting villain than Tony Stark. But anyway, Tony Stark is often a stand-in for American imperialism. Yeah, and I so. really wish they would drop it because I think that's yeah. not a really good way to draw that line. They could, it could have easily just been a U.S. bomb. Really, it could have had our flag on it. Didn't have his. Name. Yeah, yeah. That's but true. I did like the twins, and I did like uh, the moment in um, the elevator with Steve and Maria where. She's like, you know, why did they, you know, they volunteered to be experimented on. And he's like, yeah, who would do that? Um, <laughs> that was the I, greatest line. He, that was the greatest line he had. Whole movie. I, so I love that bit. Because it just, you know, it's sort of, it's, it set us up to be sympathetic towards them, which I think was really important. Because otherwise, you know, they're just like villains. And why should we care when they, when they turn on Ultron? Um, but I did care. I was, I mean, I knew, I figured it was going to happen because I knew they were going to end up as Avengers. But um, well, I thought they were both going to end up as Avengers, but I guess not. <laughs> but there's a, the question also. I, I really liked their um, their arc. Um, Scarlet Witch is amazing. Um, I, I liked I liked the actors uh, playing them. But there's an element of whitewashing there, right? Because yeah. um, they are Romani Jewish, and the actor and actress aren't. And and there's also the element of they being Jewish and then working for Nazis, which is kind of weird. And maybe people didn't really think about this. I have to think they didn't know that, that it was Hydra because they don't, you know, there should, or what Hydra was that they didn't somehow they didn't, I have to believe they didn't know the implications, but that's it. Yeah, it could be. I was mad when Pietro died. I was really angry. I was like, we couldn't really, we had to kill somebody every, not everybody needs to die. I just really am tired of this whole, the stakes aren't high because nobody's going to die. Why do the stakes need to be high through character death? That's a really boring type of motivation. The stakes can be high in a myriad of other ways. You do not have to kill people off to create that. Well, I didn't think that. I thought, well, good, they didn't kill the girl. Or they didn't, and also good, they didn't kill Hawkeye because I really thought that his was yes. the for death arc. The whole, you know, he has a family, so it's the most tragic if he dies. Because he took such a fit about being written out of the last movie because he got brainwashed. I was worried about, I was worried about him. And um, it's because my understanding is that he's done. Is he wanted, he doesn't want to do any more of the movies. So that would be a pretty permanent way that, that, that would be the time to kill him off is when his contract is finished. Um, I could be wrong about that, but that was my impression. So that was why I was worried about him. Now, I don't know if that's actually true. Like I said, I just that's the impression that I have. So I didn't realize he was finished. He wants out, really. That's what I. That was what I had thought. I had heard is that he wanted out. Yeah, but then I again, didn't. isn't he also one of the five thousand people who's supposed to be in Civil War? So I don't know. 
Yeah. Everybody's in Civil War. Everybody. They announced freaking Martin Freeman. Who is he playing? They don't know yet. Okay. I oh. just love how they, we've had, you know, this blowback about Natasha's characterization in the movie. The, uh-huh. All this drama over sexism. Female lack of female superheroes because you know the problem the main problem is that mm-hmm. because there's only one of her she's only one woman she's got to be everything to everybody and you can't do that it's not possible right so because there's there's just her it's not very nuanced among female characters so amid all this drama they're like I know let's announce Martin Freeman another <laughs> white guy who has a propensity to say racist sexist things you know after yeah. oh god you know after Renner and Evans went off and called Natasha's character a whore and a slut. Right. So I'm just like this was your this was your brilliant idea, Marvel. Really, who is who's on your PR team? <laughs> I did like that there were a you know a, a, we get a broader variety of female characters in this movie, um, including finally a female character of color in the Doctor. It wasn't a huge role, but it was you know she was there. It was and it was an important. She played an important part in the story, and they didn't kill her, which I was afraid they, she, she was yeah. going, they were going to. So, you know, we got a decent uh, look at Maria Hill, and then, of course, you know, as of the next time, um, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Black Widow, will not be the only woman in the Avengers, because now we have yeah. Scarlet Witch. And I thought that was really... I, I'm, I'm glad to see that. That thing at the end where we have our new Avengers... Um, that was pretty cool. I Sam, Sam Wilson is an Avenger. Hooray. I know. I know. So happy. So, cool. so happy. I'm so glad he was in this movie. I'm um, so cynical because I just looked at that. I'm like, there's no way they're going to get us that. There's no way. It's going to be retconned or changed between now and then. But, <laughs> it's, oh, but these people are the Avengers and it is canon. And we can write as much fic of Rhodey and Sam being Avengers as we want because they are. There they are. They are part of the team. Really exciting. I was really happy that they were both in this film. I really kind of wish Sam had been in it a little bit more. Like, I wish he had been at the end with Rhodey. Had been in the fight, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, but- I understand why he wasn't. One of my big problems with this is, like, they have a throwaway line about the Winter Soldier, about how Sam is going and looking into their case for Bucky. Huh. That didn't bother me. I, I, I liked that they had that in there. If they'd had no reference to it, me I would have been... I, I been wanted a... the line to be different. I, I didn't like, like how they uh, framed it. I didn't like nice. how they framed it. I was just like, okay. I just thought that it was framed in Avengers is are greater than Bucky way. Well, I, I think it was, it was it was framed to me as, you know, the Avengers is what I have to do right now because we're dealing with some very specific that. threats. Yeah, and it's like, it's a really huge threat and I'm still thinking about Bucky. Yeah. I did not get that from that line at all. It just felt uh, like it felt like they blew it off, which is really strange to me. I thought it was so important that he made it to the movie. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's how I saw it. But how about Peggy Carter? That was a cool cameo as well. I loved yeah. seeing her. I did her. not like that. That was a really sad cameo. <laughs> it's like his vision, poor Steve's vision of that Wanda gave him is never getting to go home from war. Like the dance, he's in. You know, he's ostensibly home from war they get to go home but if you look at like if you look at the scene there are you know, men fighting a guy has spilled wine on his shirt but it's like a like a bullet looks like he's been shot it's this horrible post-murder. well all of this i mean they all got to they were all like that right all of the scenes were actually like, poor steve. <laughs> yeah no it was i mean it was it was a it was a poor steve moment but it was one that worked for me yeah and no, yeah. it was fine it was just really heartbreaking and like tony later yeah. is like you seem to have walked away from that, okay? Well, well no. And Steve's like, not so much. 
Well, yeah. yeah, because Steve's fear is that he's going to be like he's going to be a soldier forever and never get to go home. And at the fucking end of the movie, he's like, "I'm home." Oh my god, I'm so upset for Steve in this movie. <laughs> he's home at his new Avengers facility where he's going to be training soldiers for the rest of his life. What? I'm so upset. I'm sure everybody else read it differently, but that's how I read that whole that whole through line of the film. Mm. KJ, did you have a different read on that? No, I'm just I'm trying to think how I how I how I felt about all that. I mean, you know, obviously, if Peggy Carter appears for like 30 seconds on screen, um, I'm going to be happy because I love her so much. And they would have to do something way terrible to her to make me unhappy about it. I like I I really like the way that this relationship between Steve and Peggy is always important. It's not like just some just some girl that he used to know. She's not just some guy that he, she used to know. They are in many ways, they are defined by each other. And it's not, and, and if it were only Peggy who were being defined by Steve, then I wouldn't like it. But the fact that they are defined by each other, it makes it something that I do. I do really like. And, you know, the respect and importance with which they treat this relationship, which I honestly thought, I mean, it's okay. So obviously I'm extremely biased because this is my MCU one true pairing. Like, by a lot. And I was really, I really thought that after uh, the first Avenger that Peggy was going to be gone and we were never going to hear from her again. She was part of the past. She was consigned to history and we were never going to hear from her again. And the fact that she has continued to be such an important part of Steve's characterization is something that I really love. Now, eventually he is going to have to move on and um, hopefully that's something, you know, hopefully we'll have enough cap- actual Captain America left in Captain America Civil War that we'll get to see that. But I really, it's it's really important to me the way they've handled it so far. At this point, who knows? Civil War is full of so many other people. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, the Civil War is probably, it feels like it's just going to be another Avengers movie at this point. Yeah, right? Yeah. Unless, unless some of these roles are small, then yeah. Right. I don't, I don't know what they're going to... I mean, if they're all on the level of, you know, Sam's cameo, say, in, in this movie, then fine. But yeah. If they're all in this movie and it's important, I don't know. I guess we'll see. But so is Chris Evans? Is he contracted for Avengers three? Yeah. Yes, six movie uh, contract. Okay. okay. So it's a six movie contract though, and Avengers three is two movies. So um, I'm not quite okay. sure. What's I'm pretty sure he's in both. Is he? Is he cast in I both? Think, okay. I'm pretty sure he. Did they put another movie? Did they add another movie to his contract then? No, I think that they just split it up, and he agreed. To, to do both, okay. I'm pretty sure there was like a press thing. I'm pretty sure him okay. and both him and Chris Hemsworth mentioned that they were in Infinity Wars. This in both isn't the last movie of Phase Two. This is the second to last, right? There's still right. Ant Man. Ant Man, your favorite. <laughs> oh, I saw the tra- I saw a new trailer today for Ant Man. I was like, uh, okay, maybe not. I'm Haley really curious. In it. I'm really <laughs> in it, so I'm kind of screwed. I have to see it. But you have to see it. Halo no, has wanna... in it. I have to see it. I'm sorry. I don't have to see it as well, but I don't have yeah. to like it. But I have to see it. <laughs> I don't have to go Friday of opening weekend like I did for this movie. But I will have to see it eventually. I'm curious about what's going to be in it because it's going to end the phase two. Yeah, I'm curious about how if it's going to set up anything. If they're going to put something to connect it to uh, Ultron or Civil War. Uh, the trailer is a mess. Like, yeah. 
I was like, this is this is the wrong the wrong bug, Marvel. <laughs> the wrong one. So I guess at the end, the end of our journey through this film, we I came away thinking it was pretty mediocre. It was okay when watching, but to think about, it's not very fun. It's mostly depressing. But you guys seem to like it, so yay. Yeah, I liked it. I think I'm going to see it again. I only saw it once so far. Same here. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to watch it again. Yeah, Maybe I will not too. in the movies. Maybe when it comes out on DVD. Who knows? I'd like but, to see it at least one more time in the theater, but yeah. Um. But so far, you know, I've liked it. But I appreciate all the criticisms, and I think most of them are pretty spot on. Yeah. Even I'm though I liked it. Yeah. I'm very much in the same place. I liked it. I see where the criticisms are coming from. I agree with some of them, and I don't disagree with any of them. Yes. Well, to end this on a happy note, we <laughs> are going to do some recommendations. Hooray! Yay! Yay! KJ, since you're our guest, you get to go first. Okay. So I have two recommendations, um, and I swear I picked both of these before the movie came out. One of them seems like it, uh, in, in some ways, one of them is kind of a response to the movie, but I didn't choose it for that reason. Um, and that one is uh, the graphic novel Black Widow, Name of the Rose, um, which is a collection of uh, a comic uh, arc, and it's by, okay, and uh, by Mar- written by Marjorie Rue, Lou. And um, art by Daniel Acuna. I never read the comics. I never read any of the comics um, because I don't like uh, superhero comics. I don't like the giant continuities that they rewrite constantly and that the way the um, characters are always being written by different authors and and don't have any sort of solid characterization. And um, as the MCU gets larger, that's starting to become a problem too. But for now, I will you know, continue to live in a world where it's okay in the MCU. But I did, you know, I was so taken with Black Widow's character in the Avengers that I was like, okay, I have to go find more. And I went for, um, asked around for recommendations and this is the one that bubbled up. So it's a, um, it's Black Widow. It's, she's, um, sort of facing down her backstory, you know, in the, in the red room and during world war two. Um, it also deals with the infertility issue, but does a much better job of it. And, um, it's, it was a little jarring to me as a, someone who is primarily into the movie verse because it's set during a time when Bucky is Captain America and it's very much a, um, Bucky Nat, uh, Bucky and Natasha are in a relationship and it's very much a Bucky Nat story. So that was a little weird to me. It took a little bit of getting used to that, you know, Steve wasn't Captain America and that some other Captain America is running around in a relationship with Black Widow, but it's really well done and it's really great. And I liked it a lot. My other recommendation is a fan artist. It's called Media Avengers, M-E-D-I Avengers. Um, and what she does is she takes, she basically imagines what the media would be like in a world in the Avengers, in the Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So like, what would the cover of The Economist be after the Battle of New York? What would tabloids write about the Avengers and what kind of relationships they're getting into with each other. You know, what would newspaper headlines be? You know, how often is, is Pepper Potts on the cover of Forbes magazine? Like a lot. <laughs> She's on the cover of Forbes magazine. And um, there's a particularly cool series that uh, this artist was doing um, after the uh, first Avengers movies came out, first Avengers movie came out that was imagining what movies would be made about the battle of New York. 
And there were two of them. And one of them was this really thoughtful David Fincher political thriller type thing. And the other one is a Michael Bay movie (laughs) (laughs) full of explosions and, you know, cat suited black widow and all kinds of, you know, Nicholas Cage plays Iron Man. It completely as ridiculous as you imagine it would be. So, um, so there's a, so for a while she was doing a series on that. Um, she hasn't been as active, uh, since Winter Soldier, but, um, if you go back through the archives, she still makes new things from time to time. And if you go back through the archives, there's some really great stuff. So, and it's not just fan art, it's also media criticism. And it's a really interesting, um, sort of intersection of the two. Those are my two recommendations. Black Widow, Name of the Rose, and uh, Media Avengers. Those are awesome. Thank you. Anna, you're up. Okay, so I have a problem that uh, I was given the homework to get a recommendation, a Marvel recommendation, and I didn't because I'm terrible and I suck. But at the same time, I'm trying to think about what I could recommend that is Marvel, connected to Marvel, and everything uh, you guys that listen to uh, our podcast already probably know, like, for example, Captain Marvel or Miss Marvel, uh, Daredevil, all of the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, movies, um, all recommended. But because we were talking about um, Quicksilver, I cannot help but to think about my first Marvel love, and that It's the X-Men. I grew up reading X-Men comics, and I know it has nothing to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we've been talking about, but if you would like to learn more about the X-Men, there are two um, storylines that I highly recommend, uh, and they are the the Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past. Both of them were made into movies. Please do not watch those movies. Uh, (laughs) Just read the comics. (laughs) And uh, yes, those are my Marvel recommendations for today's podcast. Those are good. So I have two. They're fanfic. Sorry. (laughs) After the movie ended, I pretty much came out and was like, well, I need to go like dry my tears. So I just basically went back and read a bunch of Steve Tony fanfic. And I have two pieces that I pulled out of my bookmarks. The first is called The Most Amazing Thing, Some Terrible Lie by Copper Badge. It's based in the movie-verse, but it pulls some stuff from Marvel 616, where Tony isn't out as Iron Man. And it's a story about how he gets outed and how he deals with being outed to the team and his relationship with Steve as that happens. It's, well, it's by Copper Badge, so it's obviously great. My second is Love Among the Hydrothermal Vents by Devil Doll. Also a Steve Tony story. Steve, Tony, and the other Avengers go visit Namor. And so basically, Namor decides that he wants to date Steve. And Steve and Tony pretend to be engaged to get <laughs> Namor off Steve's back. Secret boyfriends. Secret boyfriends. <laughs> and also, the, an octopus has a thing for Tony. It's really cool. <laughs> it's really funny. Devil Doll is just a really great comedic writer. She has great uh, like great emotional arcs in her stories. I highly recommend her work, even if you don't really like Steve Tony as a ship. It's just fun to read. Fantastic. Oh. KJ, thanks for coming on and talking with us. This is exciting. I'm excited to have you. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thank um, you. It was lovely to have you. You're on Tumblr at... I've forgotten your URL. <laughs> it's, I'm on Tumblr at Life of KJ. 
www.dreamwith.tumblr.com. I'm on DreamWith at owlmoose.dreamwith.org. And I'm on Twitter at IamKJ, I-A-M-K-J at Twitter. And I'm sort of active on Twitter. I'm more active on Everybody go Tumblr. follow KJ on Twitter. She's great. You'll find links to some of the things we discussed today in our show notes at fangirlhappyhour.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com. Find us at fangirlhappyhour on both Tumblr and Facebook. And chat with us on Twitter at fangirlpodcast. For both myself and Anna and our special guest, KJ, thanks for listening. See you next episode.